Today on Truth Encounter, we are going to discover that the God of the Bible is not speaking a word of judgment to us. He is not speaking in some heavenly or foreign human language that we can't understand. He speaks in the language of your heart, and He wants you to listen to His love. Does this sound too good to be true? Open your New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, for our study titled, How Should an Unbeliever Respond If They Visit Our Church? Without faith, we can't please God. And Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to put the stress on the merciful message of God. You see, as I speak to you, it's not a message of judgment. God isn't angry with you today. God isn't speaking to you through a language that you can't understand. You can all understand what I'm saying. It comes through, you know, in English. And it comes through from the teaching of his word. We have this text in English. And what Paul wants us to realize is that this is not a message of judgment. It's a message of life. It's not a message where God is turning away from you. It's a message where God is running towards you. You see, Paul's point is that, the, is, is that the gift of tongues where God masks or makes unintelligible his word so that he will not have to put you under greater judgment because to whom much is given shall much be expected. So when God starts to speak in languages we don't understand, that's when it's judgment. But right now, today, in our church family and throughout this area, God is speaking to us in a language we can understand, the prophetic message of his word. And he's saying, will your hearts unfold? And every one of us decide whether that's true. Every one of us decide whether or not our hearts will be opened. And the Apostle Paul prays that the Corinthians will have that joy of seeing unbelievers fall down, open their hearts, and truly worship God and say, truly, God is among you. Verse 26, he goes on and talks about another point which will make our service orderly and understandable to unbelievers. He says, what then shall we say, brothers? When you do come together, Dave has a special music on the piano. Dave Wurtson has 45 minutes and everyone else comes and they sit. How many have that in their, in their version? What I want you to see is the tremendous spontaneity there is in God's family. It says, look, when you come together, everyone, everyone, the church is not a spectator sport. A church is a participation sport. Everyone, it says when you gather together, everyone, somebody has a hymn, somebody has a word of instruction, someone has a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, all these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, as we've gone through this text, we've found out that the revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, a word of instruction, even the hymn, were spontaneous revelatory gifts. We looked at Colossians, where it talks about the Holy Spirit coming powerfully among a group and moving someone to give an inspired hymn. But I believe that though maybe the Holy Spirit's not giving direct divine scriptural revelation today, I believe with all my heart that he is still spontaneous, that he's still creative. And I believe that we've only just begun to tap the kind of creativity 
that he wants to have happen in our group. You see, we're all just a little bit tight. We're a little bit afraid. But how many of you have found again and again and again and again in your life that when you get by that little bit of, oh, I don't want to let myself go, I'm a little bit tight, when you open up and we're not childish, but we're childlike, doesn't it start to do something in your life? You know, I would pray that our whole worship would become like that. I want to remind you of the way it can be in the body of Christ. I mean, I've been in a lot of bodies of Christ that it's so tight. I mean, if you have a little bit of rhythm, if your hair is a little bit longer, or just everything is so much like this. Well, I want to praise God. I don't think that's what we have here. And so I want to try to just say, hey, the Spirit of God is in your life. You got a hymn? You have something to share? You have a word of instruction, and maybe the Lord spoke to you from his word and gave you an insight from his word. You're in a church family where you can share it. And we need to realize that it's not a program. It's not some powerful, mighty person that comes in with a, with a program. But it's the ultimate person who comes in with the life-giving power of the, re, of the reality of the Spirit in our life. We want you to feel that we want to be open to what the Spirit of God wants to do. But Paul says if we do that, we need to have creativity, and it needs to be spontaneous, but it needs to be done orderly. And look what he says in the next verse, because he tries to create some of this order. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret if there's no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church and should speak to himself and to God. This should be a real insight for you. If ever there's a believer that's encouraging you to have an experience where you lose control, for example, you couldn't stop yourself from speaking, you go into kind of a trance, you can be very sure that that's not of the true Holy Spirit. Because Paul is telling the Corinthians in the first century when tongues was a very living, powerful gift of the Spirit, that they, if there was no one there who could interpret, they should be quiet. And he also told them to only do it one at a time. So if you've ever been with a group of believers where a lot of people are all speaking at once and they're all speaking a language you don't understand, you can be very sure that it's really not a biblical pattern. This is right here in Corinthians. Because the true Holy Spirit is the ultimate God of order. He created the math that Sam teaches and that I tried to learn and never did quite. But he was very orderly. And even with the spontaneous gift of tongues, they could control it. One at a time they would speak. And if a revelation came to someone that was seated, they could, the other person could sit down and the next person begin to speak. And you get this beautiful... Um, combination of order and yet spontaneity. Paul says the same thing concerning the gift of prophecy. In verse 29, it says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of order, 
but a God of disorder, but a God of peace. What the Lord is saying in these texts is that his Holy Spirit, as he moves people, and in this case, in the first century church, he was moving them with direct divine revelation, under this powerful impulse from the Spirit, it wasn't a trance. It wasn't an uncontrollable thing. So you don't want to picture like a medicine man or a shaman who stands up, like, you know, this, and, and you're just sitting there, you know, and then somebody else starts doing that, and there's no control. You want to picture someone who's powerfully used by the Holy Spirit. In the first century church of Corinth, he gave a direct divine revelation. I think the Holy Spirit today can be just as active in giving us clarity and illumination and power to understand and apply God's word and help one another to apply it in one another's lives. But the Holy Spirit is always gentle and he's orderly and one person can sit down so that another one can speak and the whole thing is subject to the spirit of the prophets. And then that is the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of our hearts. I want you to see some things I think that we can really apply. I don't want any of you to think, you know, this is just what I have to say to you, and I'm right, and I'm the only one that knows, because that's not biblical at all. You see, the only authority that is absolute authority for us is God speaking in his word. I blow it. I make false interpretations. How do we correct that? By sharing together, by interacting together, by praying together, and by having the Holy Spirit work among all of our hearts so that we can grow towards a unity of the faith. And we're not going to have that total unity until we go home to be with the Lord. The next passage continues, the next section here continues this area of orderliness, and there's some controversial verses here that have often been misunderstood. It says, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, wham, sledgehammer. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Shall we pray? I love that. That's great. Don't forget chapter 11. Don't forget chapter 11. It says if a woman prays or prophesies, be sure that she does it with a proper cultural symbol of submission. These verses are very interesting. I think it shows you how a translation and even the inflection of a voice can change it. It's interesting. First of all, the word woman... In Paul's writings, the word that he uses here, it's the same word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as you go through the list of the deacons and it talks about the women likewise. I believe that Paul usually uses this word for a wife. For a wife. In this context, I believe he uses this word for a wife I'm almost positive that it means wife and not just all women because his word submission, the word when he talks about it and let them be in submission as the law says, the law specifically talks about a wife freely, never forced, and never as a put down, but as a free choice 
the Old Testament and the New Testament speak about a wife putting herself under her husband's authority. So I could read these words like this. As in all the congregation of the saints, women should not continue to speak. And the word there to remain silent is the same word that was used in the previous paragraph where Paul tells a, a prophet who's going on and on and the Holy Spirit has spoken to somebody else in the group and, and the Holy Spirit wants someone else to speak. Paul instructs the prophet to be silent. In other words, to stop speaking and don't be disorderly and let someone else have some input. I think he's saying the same thing to the wives. He says that the wife should, remain, should, should stop speaking. Like if she were prophesying, like in Proverbs, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, and she was going on, and there was a question raised about it. There was some interaction about the prophetic revelation she was giving. What Paul is saying is that she needs to submit and sit down. And you can also imagine this. You've got a gifted wife who's like Hulda in the Old Testament, a gifted prophetess, and she gives a message, but the whole church starts to interact about it, and she's really strong about it, and here's her husband sitting here. And she's waxing eloquent, and her husband is sitting there like Casper Milk Toast and doesn't know what to do. And the whole flavor of the thing starts to be a little bit off kilter. Now, I, I, don't, I want the wives to think very carefully about this because I think this doesn't just apply to wives. This applies to all of us. What, and, and, and stick with me long enough, and I believe we'll learn a little bit about more about the grace and the order of living. You know, in all of life, there's a time to talk. There's a time to be quiet. And from the depths of my heart, I had a dear friend of mine when I was here a few years that says, Dave, you're a great mouth. You're a lousy ear. That was a great, straight word of rebuke. You see, I just finished, I finished yesterday speaking 25 hours. My responsibility in God's family was to speak for 25 hours. You talk about motor mouth. That's why my voice is a little bit coarse today. I mean, I spoke more than a whole day nonstop. But I was supposed to speak there. It was a week in time that the Holy Spirit gave me with those young people. But you know, there's other times when I should not speak. I can remember one. It was when we went up to, to remember John and to help John's family when John passed away, Mary's older brother. We were all sitting together in a living room and Mary's dad was there. Some other people were there. And I had written an article in Moody Monthly about music. And the guys in the circle started asking me about the article. And I got going. And it was totally out of place. It was totally disorderly. Because my role in that situation at that time and at that place was not to be a teacher. It was just to be quiet. Because one of the worst things that you can do in, in grief is chatter. And Paul would say to me, Dave, you're childish. You don't have the feel for the situation. You need to learn to be silent. 
That's what Paul is saying to the wives. He's not saying to any wife that you are not equal to your husband in value. He's not saying to any wife you're not gifted by the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying is we live our lives that there's an order that God has set up and God has made the husband to be the leader in his home and we're to evidence that in the way that we relate together. It's to be a loving servant leadership. Well, what's happening in the Corinthians is evidently the wives were speaking out of place. In our own congregation, I think we're, most of the time we're so far away from that. In fact, sometimes I feel we have just the opposite. I think some of the wives are afraid to say anything. And that's not at all what Paul is trying to create. He wants all of us to learn to follow the orders of godliness and sensitivity and knowing when to be quiet. And when a woman in a church family starts waxing eloquent and maybe her husband has a quiet personality, it puts him very much on the offensive. In fact, it can even, on the defensive. It might even close him down to spiritual things because he says, man, life, how could I ever compete with that? How could I ever know that? How could I ever be as clear as that? And there's a lot of precious husbands who because of a wife forgetting this order feels inhibited in spiritual things. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not telling the women that they can never say boo in church. In 1 Corinthians 11, he said they would be gifted prophets, prophetesses. And we have the women in Acts traveling and carrying on effective testimony. We have women traveling with Jesus, ministering to their needs. But he's saying that we need to learn when to be silent. And the most godly women that have taught me so much, some of them that are older, that have lived a life, that have walked with the Spirit, they all have this beautiful sensitivity of quietness, of knowing when to speak and when to be silent. So husbands, don't use those words as a sledgehammer on your wife because it speaks to all of us. It does speak to us about order in our family relationships. I need to be the leader in my home. Mary is not responsible for our home. The Lord will hold me accountable when I stand before him. So I must actively take that role. And a wife needs to learn when to be quiet. We all need to learn that together. And we need to learn those lessons not critically. That's why I try to open up with you. The person that told me, Dave, you've got two ears, you've got a good mouth, but a lousy ear, he's very intimate with me, very close to me. And it really helped me. And you can pray for me, because I still haven't learned that lesson. But we need to pray for one another together. But let's not circumvent what God's Word is saying. Our culture needs to learn a lot about respect, a lot about what is fitting, a lot of what what is a sensitive submission to order. We've lost a lot of that. And Paul in, in the body of Christ says, I want you to recapture it. And I want husbands and dads to be honored. I want the wife to be honored. I don't want children to be out of control. There's a beautiful gentleness and togetherness, but order in this family gathering. He clothed it by saying, did the word of God originate with you? If you disagree with me, go to the book. It didn't originate with me. It originates with the word of God, and there's room for a lot of discussion 
about the interpretation of this passage. Did the word of God originate with you? Or, or are you the only people that is reached? If anybody thinks that he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am running to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. In other words, the ultimate way that we decide whether or not a spiritual gift is truly of the Lord is in the Holy Scripture. Always compare your experience, the teaching you're receiving, to the Holy Scriptures. That's what Paul is saying. These verses are saying this canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is the word, it's the standard that we compare all our spiritual experience to. And the Corinthians needed to bow to his apostolic authority in the Scripture. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, he would say, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. What Paul is saying to the first Corinthian believers is, the Holy Spirit's among you in the first century is giving revelatory gifts. Don't squelch those revelatory gifts. I think Paul, in application today, would say to our church, now that we have a completed revelation, don't squelch the free expression of the Holy Spirit in understanding the Word of God, in praying together, in utilizing one another's gifts. If we do that, if we're able to apply and to live what we've learned, an unbeliever will be able to be with us and feel wanted and feel loved. They'll also feel, most importantly, they're among God's people. And they are. As I look around the room, I see many, many answers to prayer. And that's why I'm not discouraged at all. You know, I talk to a whole lot of kids. I would weep over what kids were telling me. Beautiful 18-year-old girls, some of them from solid Christian homes, supposedly, quote, quote, that were abused. And that could just bottom me out. Girls that, that will cry for an hour straight because a supposedly godly person who it was just a hypocrisy was ripping their life to smithereens. That's discouraging. That's really discouraging. High school kids that talk about being raised in church families like our own, and then they talk about how when they were 16 or 17, they blew it all off, and they got involved in a whole lot of things, and they, they talk about the scars of immorality and the scars of drunkenness. It tears your life apart. But you know, the great thing, because of what we've learned today, we can look at the reality of life right in the face, and we have a Savior who's working great redemption, great plans, great healing. That's what this text is saying on an overarching theme. God is among us. Adam was a guy I'll just tell you about in closing. It might encourage some of you moms and dads. It might encourage some of you Sunday school teachers. Adam told me he was the pits in Sunday school. He was always the kid that got in trouble, always the kid that had to be sent out in the hallway, Gave his parents fits. When he got in the youth work, in the youth group, he would tell his youth leader, I will be there. You can count on me. He would never show up. Time and time again, he wouldn't show up. I promise you I'll work in that project. He wouldn't be there. I promise you I'll be there on Wednesday night. He would never come. In Sunday school class, you know, he'd just sit there like a bump in the log sometimes. But you know what Adam told me? He said his youth pastor... Never quit on him. 
He said he saw tears in his youth pastor's eyes sometimes because he knew he'd hurt him. But the youth pastor never looked at him and rejected him. And Adam said, you know, Dave, that man loved me and really cared about me. And Adam said, Dave, the reason I want to share with you, and he had his beautiful fiance sitting next to him named Debbie. He said, Dave, I'm going to spend the next year and a half or two years as a youth pastor. And then I want to go to the jungle. I want to go to Columbia because that whole country is controlled by drugs, and I think Jesus is the only answer. And I want you just to share some insights the Lord's given you in the ministry. But I'm becoming, I want to be, for the next generation coming up, what my youth pastor was for me. That's the body of Christ. There's the troublemaking kid that somebody didn't quit on. The obnoxious kid that people didn't treat obnoxiously. Instead, they cared. Those are the people that God is truly among them. And brothers and sisters, God is powerfully working today. The world is dark, but the Holy Spirit that moved the Corinthians to speak in tongues and to give prophetic messages can move us to understand every word of this book and to apply it and to shine the light brighter than it's ever been shined before. I love you. I appreciate your family living together. And let's stretch it out for all that the Spirit wants to do. Creative, in love, orderly, submissive, knowing when to speak, when to be quiet, so that people will truly know God is among us.